One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast with Owen and Ken here. Murphy's away this week, but myself and Ken are trucking on. How do you know? Not too bad. Now, it's been a while, Ken, since I've taken an irrational dislike to a particular team. Mm. I was a little bit concerned, to be honest, because I think it's the right of every sports fan. In fact, I would say it's the duty of every sports fan to decide that they really dislike a team for no specific reason. Yeah. Well, love and hate are, are some people say... Two sides of the same coin. I've been looking around for a suitable group to hate again. I love enough teams. I wanted to hate someone. I think I found them in the shape of the England women's rugby team. Oh, yeah? I, look, I know we have to be gracious. They were much the better side on the day. We wished them well in the final. and oh, all that nonsense. But there was something about them. There was, I don't know, they were a little bit smug. They found the whole thing just a bit too hilarious. There were lots of shots of them laughing and joking with each other. Well, what's wrong with the team? The team winning by 40 points to seven, having a bit of a laugh. I'm not talking about just after scoring tries. I'm talking about breaks and play, players down injured, and the English just laughing away. I know you're thinking, you're thinking I'm reading too much into this, Ken, but listen to this. For all to see, England, as Katie McLean lays down the laws to her players, there is no tomorrow. After this 80 minutes of rugby, now is the time. Leave nothing out there. One, two, three. That line at the end there. I love that. Was, we are effing England. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I'm not anti-English, Ken. And Katie McLean might well argue that a camera and microphone should probably not be shoved in the middle of a pre-match huddle. Well, but if you're going to shove a camera and microphone in there, that's what oh, you're going to get. I don't know, there was something deep within me there, Ken, as, as an Irishman, that, no. that just got a little bit creeped out by the... Very aggressive. We are England. I'm sure it's exactly. What Remember you're... Cromwell. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's <laughs> for exactly... Oliver. Yeah. Uh, no, look. I mean, I, the commentators seem to be trying to talk over it and 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 um, oh, yeah. spare uh, spare the blushes of the of the nation. Why? I mean, if you stick a microphone or a camera in there, that's what that's what people are going to be saying. You know, mm. it's it's not going to be. It's almost certainly going to involve a a lot of screaming, a lot of swearing. What else do you expect to find? So, you know, don't. I mean. I don't know what I don't know what the I'm not quite sure what kind of what kind of people watch this station. You know what kind of people are watching this station on television that they're going to be offended by uh, by some sports people indulging in. Oh the well, they were uh, well, absolutely. Sky would have feel like, Sky apologized subsequently for <sighs> Sky. 
<laughs> just go with it, Sky. Just run with it. I mean, you know, Rupert Murdoch is always moaning about the nanny state, you know, and, and yet here is his, uh, you know, one of his uh, media organizations, really such a nannyish attitude. I mean, I don't think Rupert Murdoch himself would uh, would be shy of the odd uh, the odd piece of blue language <laughs> from from what I hear. So uh, I don't know. I just find that that attitude a bit condescending. Uh, you know, as though oh, all all the, all those uh, prowls out there won't be able to handle it if they hear the captain of the you know rugby team saying the f word. I'm cheering on Canada regardless, Ken. That's that's just the it's way Canada it in the final, is it? Yeah. Oh no. Well, what's wrong with Canada? Well, we know Canada are going to lose by about eighty points. Well, they drew with them in the group. Yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> We're going to talk to Ireland captain Fiona Cockton on the show. That was her eighty-fifth cap last night, and she has indicated she'd be finishing up after the tournament. Um, she talked immediately after the game about the fact that the team played as individuals. She thought there was no unity anywhere on the field. She was talking initially about the scrum, but she mentioned that that was a point regarding the team all over the place. So it'll be um, it'll be good to talk to her and always. <laughs> Always uh, happy to hear that the, the players are taking a call after a defeat because it's never that easy to talk. The mention of Rupert Murdoch actually reminds me of, of Rupert Murdoch's most famous quote, which is in fact a three-word quote, the first word of which begins with F and ends with K. <laughs> uh, and it, it's F. Daker, publish. That's his three-word mm. three instruction to his editor, I think at the Sunday Times, uh, and the thing that he was going to put, he, he, Lord Dacre, who was the, the historian, Hugh Trevor Roper, had um, expressed, ha having originally said, these definitely are the genuine secret diaries of Adolf Hitler, which have laid undiscovered for many decades. But I'm pretty much sure they are. I, as far as I remember, he rang back sort of at the last minute going, you know what, I've had some second thoughts about this. I'm not really sure these are the real Hitler diaries. And uh, that was... Rupert Murdoch's response when he heard this. <laughs> so uh, so they went out there, and of course, it turned out they weren't the real Hitler Diaries. But at the same time, the Sunday Times sold a lot of copies. And uh, uh, and I, I, to be honest, I still don't think it, it all worked out in their favour, but it's his most famous ever quote. We're talking to US Murph today about Rory McIlroy, the impact of his win in the US. It's got him a spot with Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show next Monday, along with Tiger Woods. I would say Tiger is starting to tire of this buddy-buddy routine that he has to go through with Rory all the time just to stay on TV. Why is he doing it? I, no I mean, why does Tiger Woods keep lying to us? <laughs> why, why, pretending why, he likes other human beings. Why does he keep presenting his false front to the world? I would have thought he'd be able to at, at least, he would have been able to put that aside at this point in his life. At least he could stop pretending that he's the kind of decent uh, you know, sort of decent is the wrong word because I don't think there's anything wrong with not liking Roy McElroy if he doesn't like him. He's entitled to like and dislike who he wants. But pretending to be this sort of uh, nice guy uh, all the time, uh, there's really no need to do that Tiger anymore. In fact, I think he would be more marketable because I know that's the thing that he's he's most interested in. He would actually be more marketable now as Tiger shoots from the hip woods. You know, Tiger Woods, again, brutally snubs Roy McElroy. No, I'm not talking to that guy. You know, uh, if if he was to do that, the sponsors might start coming back to him. Jimmy Fallon has previously played a round of Tiger Woods golf with Tiger in Times Square up on a stage. Don't know if you ever come across this on no. the internet. Uh, Jimmy Fallon wins. I'd say, he's and Tiger doesn't look too happy about it. <laughs> Does Tiger Woods play Tiger Woods golf? Well, he tries to play it. It is. His well, I mean, name do, do you the, think he? I know. At home, does he go? Does he play quite a lot? Because I mean, I obviously Lionel Messi, you know, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic play 
FIFA all the time or play whatever. I'm not sure if they're FIFA or Pro Evo meant, but they play the game all the time. It's like the main recreational activity for footballers. But I think the thing about golf, I say this without any knowledge, uh, is that you probably have to practice a little bit more. Maybe you have to spend a bit more time practicing. Maybe the practice in itself isn't as physically strenuous, but you've got to do a bit more of it. I don't know if Tiger Woods necessarily has a lot of free time. And uh, what I'm saying is I don't know if he spends his free time sitting around playing Tiger Woods golf. I'm guessing he might not. We're also going to ask Brian about the tragedy of Kevin Ward Jr. He was a sprint car driver, died on Saturday night. You may well have read something about this over the last number of days or seen the horrific video. He was struck by the car of Tony Stewart. Now, Stewart is a legendary driver over there, three-time NASCAR champion. And this was um, I suppose the equivalent of Cristiano Ronaldo t- in his off time. We're talking about playing uh, computer games, actually playing football against much lower-level teams. It's an Empire Super Sprint Series. It was on an upstate New York uh, event, not a NASCAR event. And uh, the cars, anyway, they collide with each other. Ward spins out of the race. This is the young driver. Then he gets out of his car to confront Stewart, who'd knocked him off the road. Stewart's car, at that point, hits Ward, and you have a horrific tragedy. There is an investigation going on. No criminal charges at the moment, but we'll talk to Brian about that a little bit later on. A tip against Cork. Play each other. A tip play Cork, I should say, in the second All-Ireland Hurling semi-final. We all enjoyed the primal nature of Limerick and Kilkenny, but I don't think we're able for any more of that, so let's just have a nice... Nice, gentle, high-scoring affair, Croker. This, with a bit of sunshine, maybe, this Sunday would do the job just nicely. Ireland streams winning the World Cup are over after last night's 40 points to 7 loss to England. And we're joined from Paris by Ireland's captain, Fiona Coughlin. Fiona, thanks very much for talking to us, first of all. And commiserations on yesterday. Is it possible to be philosophical yet and be happy with your achievements in the tournament? Um, yeah, look, we're now, that game isn't defining of our tournament. And um, I think, you know, while it's bitterly disappointing, it's how we turn back from this and finish out the tournament on Sunday but you know we didn't perform and uh, that's that's the biggest thing you know with 32 minutes into the game we were still in it and then the floodgates opened and we let them keep running at us and I think that's you know key areas that we said we weren't going to let happen we let happen so yeah it, it, it is disappointing but you know we're definitely going to try and turn it around the most obvious reading of it Fiona really from the outside is that um, a, a less experienced team in this level of competition um, maybe failed to perform. Would you would you put it down to that? Um, I don't know. Like everything felt good going into it, and you know things were going in the right direction. And as I said, you know, getting the first try, and for the first twenty minutes, we were definitely you know on par with them. And um, we we know England, we know them well, and the games of all we've always upped our game against England. And yesterday we just didn't. And whether it's semi final experience in a World Cup or not, I don't know. We were treating it as just another game. We didn't put too much emphasis on the semi-final aspect of it but uh, you know maybe it did like we'll have to look at a little bit more where we go from here but like you know their worst performance against England in the last four or five years I saw Philip Doyle uh, afterwards he was asked about if he noticed anything different uh, whether you guys were nervous beforehand and he said that you were nervous the team was nervous in the the warm-up and in the build-up but he said that was fine he's seen that before that, that nerves aren't necessarily the problem yeah, no, definitely. We've, we've definitely been there before, and particularly in big games, like, you know, before Twickenham this year and before the Aviva, you know, they are nerves, but normally we thrive on them and we, we turn things around. And, you know, even, as I said, when we were 18-7 down, that's a place we've been before against teams like England and France, and we, we, we've been able to chase games, but we just weren't yesterday, and we just stood back off them, which is, is not us, and 
it's, it's not the way we play so it's just getting to the root of that and why we didn't bring our, our A game which we normally do against them It's probably a ridiculous question Fiona but what was the dressing room like afterwards because we've seen all the uh, the images and we watched you guys everybody was, was clearly uh, just heartbroken by it what was the scene like? Yeah it was it was there was if we felt we let people down let ourselves down and you know obviously we generated a lot of hype after the pool stages and we wanted to build on that and when a lot of people are watching us and then seeing that performance, you know, it's disappointing for us. And we, we let ourselves down and we didn't play as a team that we normally do. And normally we built a huge amount of unity and, you know, fight for each other. And it wasn't there yesterday for some reason. The, it seems almost, I mean, it must be difficult to feel that. But whatever about how you feel about your, your own setup, when you said there that you feel like you let other people down, I mean, that must be a, a bit of a pressure to take on because you guys have done so well over there for the last week or so. We have, but we've loved it. Like, the support we've gotten has just been phenomenal. The, even the messages after yesterday game, like people saying they're so proud of us. And I'm like, no, don't be proud of us. There wasn't a performance to be proud of. But, you know, I think we've, you know, awaken people's eyes to women's rugby which which is ultimately brilliant and where we want the game to go but um you know we did kind of let them let them down yesterday and um we have to turn it around definitely at the weekend well certainly i wouldn't worry about because people tend to you know as you know people tend to jump on these bandwagons and then i mean then maybe if if people feel let down they shouldn't because the performance was so brilliant against new zealand and it was such a, a thing for the country to get behind you have got that sense have you of how the country have reacted to you in this tournament and how much it's it's done for the game. Yeah, and I think it's it's been it's we truth competition wide open and we made other countries, not even just in Ireland, but other countries turn and say, Well, Ireland have done it, we can do it, like we can beat those big nations and um yeah, it's obviously a defining moment of Irish women's rugby when you beat the four time world champions and ultimately we knocked them out of the tournament. Um so that is obviously a huge moment in, in women's rugby and Irish women's rugby. But as I said before, when we were coming into this competition, we pitted ourselves saying we were good enough to get a semi-final position. And, you know, before the tournament, we probably would have been happy with that. But when you get there and you get knocked out the way we did, it, it's just not good enough. I know it's no consolation now, Fiona, but say for the younger players in the setup, the people who are going to be around and pushing it on, is there a sense that they're going to take a huge amount from this tournament, both the victory against New Zealand and maybe even they could take more from, from not showing up yesterday in terms of learning? Oh, you definitely learn learn more from defeats than you do from wins. Um, yeah, and it's a big experience thing. We know now that we're good enough to be in the top four in the world and it's about the next step for Irish women's rugby, where we go from here and where we pit ourselves. The next World Cup is in three years' time, so whether we can now drive it on from there and focus going into that tournament on getting to a final in three years' time. You've still got a game, of course, uh, against France in the third-place playoff. Is that a strange one to get up for? <laughs> um, look, it, as you said, it's, it's another game. You're playing France at home in front of it's probably a huge crowd and a lively crowd. And um, We've been here before. Our, our Six Nations games in France usually attract huge numbers and uh, partisan crowd. Uh, we want to turn it around and, you know, we've shipped a few knocks and um, we just have to regroup and I'm sure we will and come out fighting on Sunday. Is it part of the sadness about the result yesterday, Fiona, that this is the end of a generation in some ways for uh, some of the guys won't be around for for the next World Cup, as you say, in three years? Um, yeah, there's obviously going to be a few retirements after this and... Um, I think the journey that we've come on as a group and obviously there's been a few of us here for a good few years and we're proud of where we've come from 
but obviously not happy where it finished. No, absolutely. And it's it's obviously emotional for you today, Fiona. Listen, congratulations from everybody back here. The win against New Zealand was one of the huge moments in Irish sport of the year. Um, so well done. Thanks very much for talking to us today. Cheers. Thanks a million. Yeah, there's a real sense there that I think Fiona and the rest of the team are clearly, they don't know where the lack of performance came from. It, everything seemed right going into it. The, the nerve, there was, doesn't seem to be an issue with the fact that they were nervous beforehand. As Fiona said there, that was fine but it just didn't happen. And the third place playoff is probably going to be Fiona Coughlin's last match for Ireland. Given where the team has come from since she started 85 caps ago, you would hope that both she and the other players who retire can see it as actually not a bad way to go out. It's not very easy right now and there's no consolation today, but to be in a World Cup, to be playing against the host nation, France, ideally beating them and coming third in the world would be pretty decent given how little exposure and how little success there was a number of years back. One more point I want to raise about the rugby and you heard how well Fiona spoke there. Lynn Cantwell was superb in talking to us last week. Uh, yet the players weren't allowed to do player diaries during the tournament. And this was highlighted in the Irish Times, who'd published really good stuff from Cantwell during the Six Nations. Players also weren't allowed to tweet for 24 hours before or after the games. And as Gavin Kumsky said today, that was an edict that seemed inane in the joyous aftermath of the New Zealand victory. I think probably too much has been said and written at this stage about the Neve Horn article. But if the IRFU does want to send the right message... They should probably give their players full scope to do it, I would have thought. Now, we've talked to them about this today and a spokesman told us that these policies regarding social media and diaries are agreed with team management to ensure best preparation, focus and to minimise distraction. We facilitate media interviews every day and share these among the squad to ensure no one player is unduly distracted. This is the same policy for all our teams, men, women, underage, etc. Which seems fine, but it just appears to me to be a very rigid approach that doesn't take any account of the unique circumstances of this tournament. This is a, a real breakout tournament for a team who people are only getting familiar with in the last year or so. And I just thought that there was, I don't see the problem with Lynn Cantwell writing a column for the Irish Times or whatever paper it might be, any of the players talking, they're not going to be saying anything incendiary about opposition, but they do always seem to provide great insight when they do any interviews. But that's, uh, that's it for the rugby from the time being. Time now for US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Get him! Brian Murphy, I have to say I look forward to speaking to you every week, but especially in the week after a Rory McIlroy major win. What did you make of Rory? <laughs> wow, this is your time, huh? I was thinking about you guys because uh, on the American broadcast, uh, Jim, they were, you know, as he was coming up 18 in that crazy finish where they had him play up. I thought that was a little weird and a little awkward and not a little. I thought it was wrong. I thought they probably shouldn't have done that, but not taking that away. I still think Rory would have won. But uh, they said, you know, they were kind of Jim Nance being very solemn. He goes, his caddy, J.P. Fitzgerald from Dublin, Ireland. And I was thinking, there's the boys. There they are. And then, uh, of course, Rory. I was thinking, what a moment for Ireland. What a thing that that, that, that the next Tiger Woods, not to put any pressure on him, right, uh, the next Tiger Woods is Irish. How about mm. that, man, of all the countries? He could have been uh, Korean, Japanese, Argentinian, American, 
could have been French, English, whatever. He's Irish, and that's awesome. I think that's cool, and uh, I know how proud everybody is there of him. And the play, he should be because of what most people over here, in addition to just marvel at his physical talent, which is just incredible. You wouldn't think a kid like that would be such a great athlete. He doesn't look a whole lot like a great athlete, but he is. But the way he's handling himself is garnering a lot of praise over here. People are judging him now. He's now you know, transcending into kind of mainstream conversation where people are starting to know him who aren't hardcore golf fans, and they start to judge the guy's personality or his charisma. And he's passing so far on those, on those, uh, with flying colors. And people like his demeanor and how he's handling himself. So now, will that change, right? That's, we'll see. If he continues to have this incredible success, who knows, man? He might start just uh, taking limousines everywhere and forgetting the little people. But right now, he's not. And, and I think it's great. Well, he's, he's, I think it's, it's struck me this week that he seems to straddle the line very well between the humble sportsman, which we really buy into over here. We like our guys to be confident on the pitch or on the court or on the course. But we, we like a little bit of humility. And, but he's also got maybe the slightly more American ideal of the bit of braggadocio or whatever you might call it. I mean, he said after the the tournament a couple of days ago, he said, Ricky made a bogey on 14 and then on 16. Phil made a bogey on 16. I'm not saying that my name and the leaderboard affected them, but it has to do something, especially with the play I've produced over the last few weeks. It's another thing to have in my locker knowing it could affect the other guys. I, mean, I really like that comment, I must say. It is a heck of a thing, and you're right. He is. It is a delicate line, and and you're you're gonna get, of course, that we're seven billion people in the world. You're not gonna please everybody. There's gonna be some people who see that as cocky. He can't worry about that. Those people who who study it with deeper context and watch what the kid is about 24/7, 365, know that that's just part of competition. You got to listen, man. Hey, there's a, you know, the famous line here in America, Leo DeRocher said in the 1950s when he was the manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, nice guys finish last. That's like the big famous phrase over here. And it's true. You've got to have a little mean, dirty killer in you. And to tell you the truth, uh, Owen, I, I write this Yahoo Sports golf column. I've done it for the last several years. I've been blatant in my pleas that Rory McIlroy grow fangs and be a little more bloodthirsty. And you don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to trample on people. You don't have to blow off people, but when you're on that field of competition, you got to have those fangs. you got to want to kill. you got to want to step on their neck. And they, I mean, that's what Tiger was so unabashed about. The people who wrote Tiger's biographies learned that at a young age, uh, Tiger's mom said to him in her broken English, Tiger, you take that boy's heart out. Then you shake his hand. But first, take out his heart. You know, I mean, wow. <laughs> my mom used to say, you know, have a nice day at school, Brian, and kiss me on the cheek and hand me my lunch, you know. But uh, there's different ways to raise kids. And so Rory needed that, and he didn't. And he, you know, another thing he's admitted, and I mean, it's kind of a, you know, personal thing, obviously deeply personal, but his, his love life, his relationship with Caroline Wozniacki, he's confirming what we all thought, or at least I thought from the outside, that it was definitely, without question, affecting his focus. Without question, it was affecting his ability to, to be the best he could be. And, and then there was talk, well, maybe that's who he wants to be. He wants to be Rory McIlroy. He won two majors early in his career, and now he's going to enjoy money and love. But I was thinking, man, if he wants to be great, and, and you know, if that's what he, what he wants, he's going to have to make some changes. And he did. To his credit, he has made the changes. Man, what a career. Now you're talking the tallest of cotton, right? The, the, the comparisons right now at this stage in his career are only with the all-time greats, the only names that are on those lists of youngest ever to win that many majors are Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods. There's a couple other lists that include Bobby Jones and old Tom Morris. We're talking about Valhalla here, no pun intended. 
You know, that's where he won his uh, PGA Championship. We're talking about Pantheon type of stuff. Now, you have to keep doing it. Otherwise, you know, you become one of these guys of, oh, who he could have been. But, wow, and the way he's driving it and the way he's playing it. I think it was Bubba Watson's caddy, I think, who tweeted out. He said, I've only seen a guy that confident once in my life, and it was Tiger in the early 2000s. And you were, wow. So now we have a long break, right? Well, we have the Ryder Cup where we're expecting to be bludgeoned into oblivion by the uh, the mighty European side who has all the top-ranked players in the world. And then he'll have the FedEx Cup playoffs, which, you know, isn't as – as sexy as a major, not nearly as historic. And then we go into a long off season, a long winter, and hopefully he'll come out on the other side. You heard him counting the days to Augusta. Well, he's 20, was he going to be 26 years old next May? He's 25? Wow. This is going to be fun to watch, and I'm liking the way it's, it's rolling out right now. Owen. I'd really love those fangs to grow even sharper that you talk about there, Brian. Maybe he can start sticking it to old Tom Morris in press conferences. You know, I'm, <laughs> who, is, who was this old guy? He's nothing to me, and just yeah, really crank it up. He, he had an ugly beard. He wore a bad suit when he played. I'm much fitter than he is. <laughs> By the way, how about the, uh, how about the, uh, the, the change in his body? Yeah. Uh, if you look back, uh, even back to the Walker Cup days, he was just a little chubster, right? A little fat kid. And then he became just kind of this kind of amorphous kid. My Lord, I think in the last six months, he has really become chiseled. And the only thing you worry about is his uh, is don't overdo it, right? Because, I mean, Johnny Miller's talked about that. He thinks he lifted too many weights in, in the 70s and it affected his swing. And there's many people who think Tiger has overworked his body to where it is now. Now, Tiger's 38, of course, and has played golf since he was three, but that is something to watch. Right now, the kid looks fantastic, which I guess, Owen, oh, that and a big bankroll and fame will land you Irish supermodels, right? So that's how he rolls. <laughs> that's his, uh, uh, that's his, uh, his MO these days. The CBS ratings, Brian, up 36% from last year's US PGA. I see the biggest audience for this tournament since 2009 when Tiger was still in the shakeup against Y.E. Yang. So it seems like people are, um, people are watching now. No question, and, that, and that's a big question. You know, I, we had discussion, um, and we've talked about this a couple of times on the show here, is can Rory translate to America? And I had a guy write into our show and say he will be respected and he will be followed, but he will not be idolized like Jack and Tiger because he's not American. And that's the, you know, that's the question. We talked about Federer and Nadal and Djokovic all being European and how that translates to America, where they are respected and enjoyed, but they are not idolized and they don't capture the imagination of the American sports fan, which is why tennis has kind of fallen dramatically over here, is the lack of a male American tennis star, a Jimmy Connors, a, a John McEnroe, even a, even a Jim Currier, Andre Agassi, of course, Pete Sampras, all those guys who carried us to the 20th century. So, but I think Rory right now ha- is translating. I do. And, and you saw the ratings thing. Now, the ratings thing also had as much to do with Rory as it did with who, who was in the mix, and that was Ricky Fowler and Phil Mickelson. Two very American guys, two, you know, two guys who really appeal to the American sports fan. Phil, of course, being the new Arnie, and we know all about Phil's legacy. How about the fact that Phil's out there 20 years older, I mean 19, 20 years older than Rory and Ricky, throwing haymakers with those guys. That was a great cross-generational battle. I think that had a huge appeal to the American TVI. And I think Ricky Fowler is earning respect now. I think you know a lot of people, hardcore golf fans have known her for years, but the casual golf fans and casual sports fans only got to see him this year finish top five in all four majors. And another guy who handles himself well, got kind of a funny look with his flat brims and his mustache and all that. Yeah, former dirt biker. Good background. Southern California kid does not come from one of these uh, 
privileged country club backgrounds where it's kind of hard to relate to those guys. He's much more of a normal guy, down-to-earth guy, uh, who's really changed his game since he started working with Butch Harmon, harnessing that incredible talent with a better swing. So I think it was like the perfect storm. It's kind of amazing that without Tiger, you had such great theater. It really proved that the ultimate, that you don't need Tiger to have great theater now. Granted, of course, Tiger would have created more interest, and there's nothing like Tiger. He's a once in a, he really is a once-in-a-century type of guy as far as his magnetism and his appeal and his backstory. But you do not need him to have great, compelling theater that was water cooler. People were talking about it around the, around the hallways on Monday, around the offices. People were saying, did you see this, did you see that? I found myself in an interesting predicament that I liked all three guys. I've always been a Rory guy, of course. I've only been frustrated with him when he, when his last year and a half. But then I've always liked Phil, and he, Phil's really earned my respect over the years, and I really like Ricky. So I found myself like rooting for all three guys. Usually you have a villain out there. I couldn't find a villain in the group other than Burnt, Wiesberger, and uh, Henrik Stenson, who's not really a villain. But so, yeah, it was a great, great theater. It was great for golf, and it gives us great hope for the future. The other story I wanted to ask you about, Brian, was a tragic one. Unfortunately, Kevin Ward Jr., is the name of a sprint car driver, died on Saturday night after being struck by the car of Tony Stewart. Now, this is a really tragic event, and um, I don't know what people are actually have been saying about it in the few days since, but it's uh, just a really remarkable and crazy story. It is. And listen, I'm not a huge racing guy, but this thing really has our attention over here, too. And we've talked about it now a couple of times on the air and had guests. And this is one of these ones that translates over into, you know, it was almost like the Donald Sterling story in that it translates over to CNN, you know, and it translates into the mainstream news media because of its just incredibly dramatic nature. And that is, in in some ways, it almost just looked like a, an act of homicide on, on a sports field in America. It was... Stunning. Now, it wasn't that. There's no charges filed, but it was amazing to see a driver get killed on a track by a guy who theoretically could have been trying to hit him with his car. Now, I, mean, I know most Irish fans probably know the backstory, but real quick, you know, Tony Stewart, three-time NASCAR champion, big-time famous, huge multi-million dollar guy, has a hobby that on Saturday nights he likes to race in small local tracks. It's almost like a... Uh, you know, Rory McIlroy just has a hobby where he likes to go play the, the, the member guest at Hollywood Country Club. You know what I mean? It's like mm. this huge name who wants to still stay in touch with his roots by racing on small tracks. And as a result, you know, he's a big name. He's a big presence. He goes to this tiny track in upstate New York, poorly lit. That's another thing. I, I've actually been to a few of these. I don't know if you guys have them over there, these little local tracks that don't have good lighting. It's like one of those similar one of the themes of these places is that they're always dark, and it's a dirt track, and he gets into a tangle with a 20-year-old kid. Nobody knows this kid. His name's Kevin Ward Jr. He's some rising racer who wants to one day race on the big circuit. And they have what they call the racing incident where you know they're fighting for space, and Tony Stewart wins the space and spins the kid out into the wall. Here's where the kid then changes the dynamic. He's so angry and mad that the great Tony Stewart has shoved him into the wall. He gets out of his car and starts walking across the dirt track. Now, this is highly dangerous. It's not supposed to happen. This is where the first problem begins. Should, he should never have gotten out of his car. And so now, now he's in harm's way. And cars are now slowing down and trying not to hit him. But here comes Tony Stewart's car. And now you have to watch the video and determine, did Tony Stewart try to intimidate the kid by buzzing up against him? And in the, as a result clipping him with the right rear of his car, 
trapping the kid's body under the right rear of his car, vaulting the body 15, 20 feet, and upon landing, killing the kid? Or was it because it's so dark there, Tony Stewart honestly didn't see, because the dirt track, nature of the dirt track and the throttling of a dirt car is, he, he couldn't maneuver in time to move his car away from the kid. The kid walking towards him created the problem, and Tony Stewart really had no chance to avoid the kid. That's where we're at. And yeah. it's a huge debate because, you know, it, it, in the worst of ways, it's an act of homicide. It's tr- unbelievably, unspeakably bad. And in another way, it's just a tragic accident that happened in, in a dark racetrack where people can't see that well because a kid walked into traffic. There's no charges filed right now. There's huge investigation. They said they're going to. Oh, and they said they're going to take two weeks to investigate video, including up to today. They're they're still finding more video. People rolling their cell phone video, finding different angles, seeing if they can determine intent. It's a really chilling story. It really is. And Stuart himself, uh, I'm not trying to make the inference here that this has an impact on what way you necessarily view this incident, but uh, he does have a controversial past as far as uh, my reading up on this since has gone. A huge name, as you say. He's won NASCAR three times, but seems to have had difficult relationships with the press. He's had a couple of bust-ups with other drivers. Seems to be known as a guy who... Um, well, even the fact that he's he's in his spare time running these... Uh, driving these kind of no-mark races, he's, he seems to be a, uh, a, a bit of a colourful sportsman is one way of putting it. It's true. You know, I, if you guys, I always recommend um, things to you guys from our side. There's a, uh, we go to a guy called, Ke- his nickname is Captain Thunder. He's kind of funny nickname. He's a, a southern-based racing journalist, um, and, and we had him on our show. He wrote a long essay defending Tony Stewart, you know, acknowledging the tragedy, acknowledging the sadness, but giving a racing fan's perspective of why this wasn't as, as bad as it looked. You guys might either want, want to read it or, or, um, or talk to him. CaptainThunderRacing.com is the website. It's interesting to read his perspective. It's very reasoned, and it talks about these things like visibility and throttle and all these things that we non-racing fans don't really understand. And he claims that Tony Stewart's actually, yes, he's a hothead competitor. He has had incidents with other, other drivers. He tried to paint the picture of Tony Stewart as actually one of the bigger philanthropy guys on tour, one of the better guys on tour who sometimes is defined, the public define him by one or two incidents that they've seen on film of him throwing a helmet at a car once. And so it's a real dicey situation of determining, did, did his temper get the best of him? Did he try to buzz the guy to intimidate him? Did, you know. There's one scenario where you can see that. You're like, yeah, this guy's a hothead. Uh, he, he's being challenged by some punk kid. He's going he's gonna to go, you know, go clip the kid or try to go bump the kid or something. Or there's another thing where this kid just walked into traffic on a dirt track in a dark corner and, and put himself in a situation where Tony, Tony Stewart couldn't avoid him. Now, the kid's father has spoken out and said, you know, other drivers didn't have any problem missing him. Why did Tony Stewart hit him? It's an amazing story. It, 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 this is one of these ones where you really have to sort of take in all the information because there's a lot to go on, and it's up to the you know, the authorities have their work cut out for them, man, as to whether they're going to charge him uh, with criminal intent. A really bad look for Tony Stewart. Last note, Owen, is that his one of his his uh, business guys said on Sunday morning, hours after the death, ten hours after the death said, oh, no, we're going to race because Sunday's big racing day in NASCAR. He said, yeah, we're going to race business as usual in the big NASCAR race. 
until people said, oh, my God, it's like the most that's the most awful sports quote of the year. What do you mean business as usual? And once the blowback came, Tony Stewart's people shut it down and said, we're not going to race. So they sat out the race, uh, much to most people's relief, because it would have been just an awful look. Now, we don't know if he's going to race this Sunday. He has say he won't do his Saturday night dirt track race. But, man, this is one worth watching. Uh, yeah, I tweeted a link yesterday to his uh, to his father's quotes. To sorry, to um, this is Kevin Ward Senior, Kevin Ward Junior's father's quotes, and some pretty heartbreaking stuff in there. But I don't want to delay you too much longer, Brian, because I know you've got a big interview coming up today. Do you want a name drop? Good old, uh, well, yeah, it's my buddy Jr. We're tight, yeah. <laughs> Jerry Rice and I, yeah. Have I told you guys I'm doing this book on the new 49ers football stadium? Um, it's a, kind of a puff piece book about it, but hey, it's a payday, and it's fun to talk about 49ers history. But, uh, yeah, Jerry's doing the uh, forward, which means he's going to talk to me on the phone and I'm going to ghostwrite it for him is what it means. So it's what we do. We make these stars look good. We puff them up, right? But, no, yeah, the 49ers opened their new stadium in a few weeks. And, um, and, you know, it's a big change for us who grew up in Candlestick Park and Historic. We talked about it on the show. So that's what it's about. But, yeah, good old Jerry. They call him the GOAT, of course, the greatest of all time, Owen. And he is. He was the greatest of all time. Enjoy that, Brian. And thanks so much. Great as always. (laughs) Okay, Owen. Take care. Mm. You remember my grandmother, no disrespect, when I used to get in trouble, she looked at me and said, hmm. And I knew a butt whooping was coming at the back. I'm an alien. Think about it. Roy Jones is gone. Jane, 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 Tony is gone. Iran Barkley is gone. But I'm telling you right now, I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. I should have been on this game 15, maybe 20 years ago, man. And then that's why I said I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. But I'm telling you right now. I'm an alien. Just Google it and get your own information. I'm an alien. You should be gone. I'm an alien. Google it. I'm an alien. Mm. I'm an alien. I'm an alien. I just want to go back there, Kent. Uh, I haven't heard those comments from many years ago from Tiger's mum. Shake their hand, Tiger. She told a young Tiger Woods, but rip their heart out first. Yeah. Um, you can see maybe between her, his mother and Earl, you can maybe see where Tiger gets some of it from. There's some mixed messages there from the from the mother. Really, it's it's difficult. To, I mean, should you should you lay that on a child? Don't um, either teach them to be nice, polite, and so on, or just teach them to kill. But don't try and <laughs> tell them to do both and leave them to figure it out. Well, what am I supposed to do? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, you should probably you should probably go for one or the other. What's coming up in second campus football? That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I went down to Anfield and we'll see them up with what you're doing down here, you surely man. (laughs) The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast, Ken. Well, Premier League starts this weekend, on, so we'll be talking certainly a bit about that and focus a little bit on Chelsea. We haven't talked much about it in the pre-season because I haven't really been talking much. It's been a very quiet camp, a menacing silence from Stamford Bridge. 
um, recently broken by Jose Mourinho, enthusing about uh, how wonderful his employers are, his bosses uh, and, and his squad. He sounds like he's really psyched up for the season. We're also going to talk about uh, a very good book that I read during the week, um, Danish Dynamite. It's called The Story of Europe's Greatest Cult Team, which is the um, essentially a, a book about the Danish team of the 1980s, which um, played so brilliantly at Euro 84 and the Mexico 86, uh, without ultimately <laughs> coming anywhere close to winning, um, but somehow uh, have been, you know, have been remembered uh, as one of the greatest teams of all time, uh, you know, despite the fact that they didn't win anything. With Rob Smythe, who was one of the authors of that book. Well, you know my policy on books, Ken. Mm-hmm. Always judge them by their covers. Yeah. And the cover, of this one is just a belter. I love it. It's the cover. It's the cover. Is the is the Hummel. Denmark strip from 1986, effectively, mm. which apparently costs you, you pay 200 pounds for this on eBay for this strip. Um, it's As in, like, if you're buying a jersey, yeah, it's like mm. a massive collector's item. Um, there's quite a lot in the book actually about the strip, which at the time was you know, when they unveiled it, everyone was like, What's that? <laughs> it looks it looks stupid, you know. And FIFA, obviously, you know, you know the way FIFA are about strips, you know, anything remotely interesting, they're like, Nah. And they they forced them to change the shorts of it. They were looking to to get away with what as much as they did. I mean, now of course FIFA probably wouldn't allow that kind of thing. Halves, pinstripes, um, you know. F- f- now it could be FIFA, deemed to be a political gesture, maybe I don't know, or a political symbol. Could <laughs> the pinstripe? Yeah, the pinstripe, the arrows. I mean, what are you trying to say with this? Just go for plain red. This Sunday, Cork played tip for the first time ever in Croke Park, uh, despite the storied history between the teams. Looking forward to it. Christy O'Connor is on the line. Benny Dunn has joined us in studio. Benny, thanks for coming in. Are you looking forward to the weekend? Very good, Owen. Thanks for having us in. Yeah, really looking forward to the weekend. It should be a cracking game. We had our blood and guts semi-final last week, so is it going to be a nice sunny day? Tippy-tappy hurling from the 30 lads this week? Well, I think if uh, if it's the usual tip and cork stuff, it possibly will, and I suppose a lot depends on, on the weather. Last weekend was definitely... Um, you know, kind of blood and guts, as you said. Um, an absolute cracking game on the other end of the scale, I suppose. It was, uh, you know, two teams thundering into each other. Um, and depending on the weather on, on Sunday, I think Tip and Cork typically can be a wide-open game of hurling. And, uh, you know, I think that suits both teams. Even the way they're both playing this year, Benny, we've got four games each. Tip has scored 12.89 and Cork have scored 5.96. Um, Matt wouldn't be my strong suit, but that's some pretty decent scoring from both sides. So is it a case that both teams maybe would fancy them, themselves in a shootout here. Absolutely, and like I kind of said that before the National League quarter final going into Thurles, that, you know, if it was a shootout, it suits both teams and they tend to score heavily, both teams, you know. Um, and I think, you know, both sets of forwards are heavy, heavily scoring forwards. I mean, you take on the tip side, Callan is scoring heavy bubbles of the wire, Noel McGrath, you know, they really like that open style of hurling. And on the other side, you know, you have Patrick Hogg and Connor Lee Han who are really on the top of their form at the moment as well. And they're going to kind of like the wide open space at Crow Park as well. So, you know, given a fine day, it's sunshine and a top of the ground stuff, you, like both teams would really go at it and you'd expect a high scoring game in general. Chris O'Connor, I guess it's down to one of the teams then to find a way to nullify the other one. Or is it? Are you expecting, like Benny, expecting both teams just to back themselves in this? Yeah, like I suppose Benny makes a good point there about the league quarter final. But I remember actually Gerlock Nan saying, and he's calling the day after is that both teams couldn't defend. Like so, um, you know, you can look at that side of it too. But I think that definitely, um, you know, Cork, I think have definitely restructured their defence, and 
their style a good bit since that league quarter final. Um, I think Tip, in fairness as well, have evolved their defence as the season has gone on. Um, but yeah, like it is, you know, I I don't see it being any other way than a complete shootout. And I think even the goals um, difference there, own as you, as you 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 call out, like is probably a little bit revealing in the sense I don't know Cork or Tip have played more games, but um. There's a tip team now that looks like to have their cohesiveness and fluency back in and probably their best forward on the pitch. And, you know, a team that look like they're they're hunting for goals. Um, I know they only got two against Dublin now, but, um, you know, I think it's it's something like, uh, you know, maybe that little edge I think could be decisive on Sunday because even, you know, if you look at the way Cork have restructured and their defence and the way they are playing a little bit, Mark Ellis is playing a bit more of a holding role now. Um, they are playing a lot probably deeper in the sense of how they set up compared to last year. But, you know, I, I don't think the Cork will have met an attack like Tip. You know, Mark Ellis won't have probably met a guy like Bonner Maher who's going to run at him and take him on. So um, I think the goal factor could be could be the probably the criti- critical difference at the end because, um, you know, like Cork are the type of team that, you know, they they want to engage in the shootout. They'll, they'll score 23, 24 points. Um, and maybe that just that edging goal scoring probably could be the difference on. Yeah, I think you're right, Christy, in terms of, and you mentioned the key man for tip there was Bonner Marr, and he's having an outstanding year in general. I mean, he is, he's going to fancy himself against uh, Mark Ellis, who, as you say, tends to sit deep, and Bonner kind of plays off him, and when he gets possession, like, he's really, really hard to stop, and what he's, what you're seeing Bonner doing now is taking some scores himself, which he hasn't done in previous seasons. He was looking for Larry, he was looking for Noel to offload the ball to, whereas now he's taking a direct two to goals, and he's actually shooting on sight, which he hadn't been doing previous, and I think in fairness to Eamon O'Shea, I'd say he's been saying, Novena, that Bonner doesn't kind of get injured during the, hasn't got injured during the year, and like, he's been Tip's key man right through. Yeah. Just just on that own, like that 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 is a very 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 good point from Benny because I suppose really Bonner has probably reflected how the tip attack has evolved this year. You know, we say if you look look at Bonner, he was I suppose always regarded as you know the you know the ultimate domestic if you want to call it. You know, the guy who set up the scores like and you know prior to like this year he'd scored one four in sixteen championship games. You know, had gone nine games without uh, without raising a flag. Whereas, you know, if you saw him in the league semi-final this year, you know, scored two goals against Clare, you know, definitely showed that, um, you know, he was looking to add more to his game. Now, if you look at his plays, we'll say, like, 53's plays over the championship, he's had 12 scoring assists. But, you know, he scored two, three, he scored in every game. Um, and, you know, could have had two goals against Dublin. And I think that's that little edge that maybe, you know, Bonner is given now that, you know, he's still creating, he's still working as hard as ever. But, you know, like he said, he scored two, three, could have had two goals the last day. I think just, just that probably just underlines how this tip attack is starting to motor now, you know. Is that an attitude thing, Benny? Does a player just sometimes think, right, I've got to back myself here a little bit more in terms of scoring and, and creating? For sure, and I think kind of over the years, Bonner would have never have backed himself as being the best hurler of all time. I mean, he was always, you know, top of the group, great guy to train. You know, he's in the army now, and you felt last year he struggled a bit. He was probably going through a hard course, course of training with, with, with the army guys and that. But this year, you just you've just seen a new Bonner Mar. He's backed himself. He's he's hurling has come on. He's probably doing some extra work with Eamon in terms of, you know, uh, the hurling skills of the game and stuff like that. And you know, fair play to him. And he is really the fulcrum of that attack at the moment. 
Seamus Callan, would you not put him in that in that bracket yeah. given that he scored f- actually looking at it closer he scored as many goals as Cork have he scored five goals himself yeah and he's probably our heaviest scorer and he's really come to the fore again this year I suppose we've been you know he's been knocking on the door the last couple of years but he's really cemented a place I suppose this year on um, and like he's that type of a player I've marked him myself in club games he's impossible to mark when he's in that kind of form um, he can score off left or right it doesn't matter and in close to the goals he's absolutely lethal Christy Cork have said themselves that they put themselves under a lot of pressure for that Munster final. They felt that they, I don't think they could really countenance not winning a trophy and not making sure that they, they got that win. How does that feed in, do you think, to their mindset for this weekend? Should, should it be a bit of a monkey off the back and should they be able to hurl even a little bit more freely? Yeah, well, I suppose look at on. Yeah, definitely, because, you know, if you even look at Cork, we say over the years, um, you know, the one thing that was repeatedly, I suppose, thrown at Cork was that, you know, that you know that they didn't have the underage success. Like this team really didn't have any you know backup of any success. Like there's no like you know Brian Murphy and Tom Kenny are gone now. So you know you could say there's no All Ireland medal winner in the group. You know at senior level. So um, you know and that probably maybe that confidence or that lack of you know I suppose real real you know absolute conviction that you always associate with Cork hurlers has probably been missing in the last couple of years, right? But if you look at Cork now, like you know this is their third All Ireland semi final in a row. Um, you know they've been they've played in two All Ireland finals from last year. You know they've played in two Munster finals. You know they're used to big days. You know, like the, an All Ireland semi final for these boys, you know, is not you know it's not um you know maybe the, the big deal it would have been go back to two years ago. You know they're, they're used to big days now. But I suppose really definitely winning the Munster title. You know I wouldn't say it's a monkey off their back because you know that this team wants an All Ireland after last year. Any team that wins or loses All Ireland desperately craves to get back and win one so I just think it's the experience that they have they have gathered now as opposed to you know the pressure like okay they, they dealt with the pressure well in the Munster final because you know there was a good bit of pressure having to you know play you know in Porky Creeve like so I would just say that you know that the experience the worldliness you know the craft that this team have now I suppose it, it's all that mix now that maybe I mean you have that Benny will tell you yourself when you have that your confidence is up you know I think you know that deals with pressure in itself yeah, I think you have to hand it to Cork this year as well. They've been my favourite team in the championship, and I think when you look um, look back on the 2014 championship to date, Cork are the form team in it. Um, you know, I saw them playing against Clare in, in Semple Stadium. Was hugely impressed with them. Um, you know, they probably got off to a slow start in the Munster final, but the way they came back, reacted, got the goals. Harnedy was, you know, a super in the Munster final. Got got a very important goal. Paddy O'Sullivan came on. They have been the form team, um, but you just feel they've had a long layoff since the Munster final. Tip now have had three games uh, with a bit of momentum behind them, so it's evenly poised for the weekend. But you know, I'd be very impressed with what Cork have done. Um, in particular this year and you'd have to hand it to Jimmy Barry as well I suppose Tom Kenny is the last of the, the old brigade of that Cork set up um, and you know the, the younger players have now carried it on the likes of Conor Lehan Lorcan um, McLaughlin Kearney in the midfield uh, you know I know Shane O'Neill is still there McDonald is hurling very well at cornerback so I like what Cork have done over the last uh, couple of years you know they've, they've, they've stayed quiet they've, they've pushed it on and, and, and they're now pushing pushing Cork hurling to the fore again Patrick Horgan was speaking in the papers today and he said that the All-Ireland defeat didn't he said he felt didn't feel too bad the first couple of weeks were terrible and then went on their holiday came back and he was okay about it which I was interested in because sometimes you get the idea that if a player loses an All-Ireland final it could be playing on their mind all winter but he seemed almost matter of fact about it yeah and like Patrick Horgan is, is is the key man in that Cork setup, and okay, it would have been disappointed to lose that All Ireland last year, having got so close, having drawn the first game, and all of that. But they knew they were a young team. They're a young side. Um, 
they're still they're young and they're fit and they've plenty buckets of hurling and like they knew I suppose they'd be back again you know if they if they kept the focus coming back into 2014 because so they're not far away I mean they had they yeah. had beaten Kilkenny in a, in a quarter final you have to remember as well in Semple Stadium and you know that was a convincing enough win as well so they had taken some scalps along the way so they would have had you know a good feeling about last year as well and, and, and to come back again this year they knew it was going to be worthwhile The idea is just to Accept it after a couple of weeks. Some, yeah, Don't so, some, too much. Some, sometimes, as we well know from 09, you have to lose one to win one on. And, um, you know, I think they, they would have been thinking that a bit as well. Have you been as impressed, uh, uh, Christy, as Benny says Cork is his favourite team in Championship? Absolutely. Like, look at in fairness to Cork, you look at, I suppose, the first day against Waterford, um, you know, they were probably a little bit off and their work rate was down. And look at, they very, very nearly paid a huge price that day. Like, Waterford were, you know, nine points up and in a great position. But, you know, even, I suppose, that, that whole. You know, the way, even the way they responded to that, I suppose, reflected the experience. And even Horgan that day, I suppose, really reflected. I suppose Horgan, if you go back to the first Waterford game, probably reflected a lot of, you know, Cork's problems, right? But, you know, the second half refle- showed then, you know, how their experience. Like, Corgan the first half was on the ball once, and you were kind of saying to yourself, like, he was inside in corner forward and Noel Connors. Now, he came out to 12 eventually and started to make a difference. But you were kind of saying, how were Cork allowing this to happen again, whereby Horgan is not on the ball? Like, was on the ball once in the second half of the draw in Ireland final last year. He came out in the second half, you know, made 10 big plays. You know, Cork dragged themselves back into the game. And it was really, since then, like, the work rate has been, you know, the work rate, you know, and the team has probably settled down a lot. And I think the big thing with Cork this year has been the new players. Like, the new players have given Cork, you know, massive, massive plus. Like, and if you looked at it last year, like, the soundings the lads were making, Kieran Kingston, Jimmy Barry, Sean McGrath, they were all saying, look, we need to find, you know, four or five new players. Like, you know, when you were kind of saying, just, well, where are they going to get these guys? But they actually have got them, like we say, Cooper, you know, Ellis, Wal- Aidan Walsh, Callahan, Cadigan, like we say, first take Callahan, you know, I suppose it's been, a, you know, he's come in on his first season, you know, I know he played in 2012, the football, you know, he had, he's lost his place with, like, but if you look at the other lads, like, you know, the impact that these guys have made, I don't think even people in Cork own could have, you know, expected, like we say, even in the Munster final alone, we say Walsh and Cooper made 53 plays between them. They won 14 puckouts between them. Like, Cadigan has been absolutely sensational for, for a guy who, you know, who would probably more regard it nearly as a footballer. Like, he scored, he's either scored or engineered 19 points, right? Probably the most foul player in the championship. Like, Ellis has given that just that solidity about himself, you know, about Cork, um, you know, has really locked down that defence. And Ellis was a guy last year, you know, that Jimmy Barry would even admit himself that they, they probably just didn't trust enough to, to, to give, a, give a chance to. You know, like Cooper, you know, they probably almost nearly found Cooper by accident, you could say, come in for the second half of the draw Waterford game, you know, either scored or was involved in one three. Um, you know, like he was like he made twenty three plays in the Munster final. Like those stats are unheard of for a Cork forward under Jimmy Barry. Like, you know, he's work rate, he won seven puck outs, you know, scoring getting scores, setting up scores. So really like I think it's been like you have to if Benny's right, you have to give it to Cork. Like but the impact that the new players have made, you know, and especially given that, you know, you were kind of saying, where are these guys? You know, I think it's just taking Cork to an absolutely different level. It's impressive to keep a squad happy also when you're bringing all these new guys in, Benny, to drop other lads and keep everything on an even keel. It's pretty good going by Jimmy, Bar- Jimmy Barry Murphy, I should say. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's a difficult job being manager of an inter-county team because you have all this quality and we see, I suppose, Kilkenny with the bench they had last week and Tommy Walsh wasn't even brought on. Um, you felt probably Limerick struggle last week in terms of their bench, but definitely... 
Um, you know, Christie's mentioned it there, Cadigan, Aidan Walsh, Callan, these guys, they've made a huge impact. Um, but I think the way the game has gone, the way the game has evolved now, that it is a 20-man game. And I know personally I finished my career with Tip the last two or three years as an impact sub and was quite happy to do that. Um, you know, and I think, f- you know, players will realise that too. And I think if they're showing form and training, um, that, you know, if they're not part of that 15, that they're going to be one of the five that's going to be used uh, as a sub because it is going to be a 20-man game with, with the whole pace that, that Hurling has gone to now. Did you have to have chats with management to become comfortable in that role? Was it just something that you realised yourself, this is what it is now and I have to be ready? Yeah, I would have had chats uh, with management uh, for the last, you know, in my last kind of couple of years within the team. Um, I suppose Liam in particular, we would have spoke about it and I suppose personally I would have felt that I was playing well enough um, to be on, on the starting team sometimes um, and when that didn't happen you would have a, have a discussion about it but you know when the, manage, when the manager puts it to you and says look you know you need to be ready you need to be there for the last 15 or 20 minutes of a game and, and he's open about it and he's telling you um, the truth I think you respect that as well and you just get your own mind ready then to make an impact when you do come on and it, it is a kind of a specialist role because it probably takes 5 or 10 minutes to get into it and it's nice you really need 20 minutes or 25 minutes I feel to, to make a proper impact in the game we saw that with kind of Richie Power last week in particular um, he was outstanding when he came on so he, obviously his mindset was right coming into the game that I'm going to get a chance here and I'm going to take it and he's now going to be pushing for a starting place in the All-Ireland Final Alright, Chrissy, prediction? Um, I think if you look at the, the quarter-final own. I don't think Cork would have seen anything from Tip that you know to be frightened of. You know, I think if you look at that game, I think Dublin were actually in that game a lot more than people think. If you look at the stats, especially, um, you know, people think that Tip won that game in cruise control. I, I wouldn't agree with that. Um, but I but I still think that um, you know, the, Benny mentioned the five week layoff. You know, I think that was a factor in both semi finals last year. Um, you know, Kilkenny dealt with it on Sunday because Kilkenny hurt Kilkenny. Um, I think that might take a little bit of the edge off Cork. Um, I think the goal threat, I'm going to go for a tip, lads. Benny? Yeah, I think the bookies have called it right. It's an even money game, so it's literally the, the toss of a coin. But taking my tip ha- hat off, I'm going to go a tip as well. <laughs> You're putting it straight back on. All right. Christy, Benny, great stuff. Thank you. Thanks, all. Thanks lads. Cheers. That's the question that's going to be answered tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight. Tonight. Into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight. Their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. 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 I like the insight that Benny gave us there into the mindset of the impact substitute because it's something that, and as he said, in the latter part of his career, he had to get used to it. I guess a big part of it might be communication. It was obviously made very clear to Benny that you're getting on in some of these games and you're not just going to get on for five minutes because it strikes me sometimes they said you send on your, I was about to say your Kevin McMenamin will be a bad example this year because he's starting games. He's but the main man. No? Sometimes they're brought on with plenty of time and sometimes they're brought on with about seven or eight minutes to go and may not touch the ball. It's Even a substitute needs to play his way into it to a certain extent, although I suppose the whole idea of being good at this particular role is that you won't need that, that you're tuned up, you're warmed up, and mentally you're ready to go. Yeah, no, you still need some time. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, if you're just going to go on for a couple of minutes, no, you can't, no one's that good. 
I mean, it's a, there's a lot of people on the field. Well, you're reliant on luck then. You're reliant on the game going your yeah. way. But I suppose this is why we're not elite level sports people, Ken. I'd say maybe sports people around the country you listen to is saying, well, you just you make the impact yourself. Yeah, I mean, bend the destiny to your will and all that kind of thing. But you know, there's still a lot of a lot of other guys in the field. You know, you've you're what in hurling about three percent of the of the players on the field. That's not really a lot. You know, ninety six percent, ninety six to ninety seven percent of the players on the field aren't you. <laughs> so, uh, not a good mindset to take off the bench. I wouldn't say I'm only th- I'm only just over three percent of this. Yeah, set of players. Well, I suppose if you you know the longer you've got, the more chances it's gonna it's gonna come up. I mean, the odds of you getting the ball are similar to 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 the ball landing in you know any particular number in a roulette wheel. Um, so that's not big odds. No. Uh, so you know, the longer you're out there, the more spins the wheel you get, the greater the chances of you making the impact that uh, you're supposed to make out there. We're going to finish up. Do have a listen to our second captain's, Irish Times second captain's football podcast because one part of it that Ken didn't mention earlier on is that he's going to give us the Ken Early top four in the Premier League season. He's beavering away on that at the moment so we'll let you go for the time being and we'll get back to that a little bit later on. Thanks so much for listening. Do uh, check out our facebook.com forward slash second captains. You can check us out on Twitter at second captains and contact us there. You can also send an email if you want to second captains at irishtimes.com. Thanks so much for listening today and we'll talk to you in a bit. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 